Good morning. Good morning, Rich. Happy How birthday. <laughs> Thank you. It's caused a couple of delays here with uh, trying to sort out cameras and everything while uh, while getting texts and calls. Oh, that's, yeah, I bet. Well, stop being so popular. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's because this is the home of professional podcasting, I'm sure. Very true. So everybody listening, wish, wish Rich a happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So. Have you been through a lot of persecution in your life? <laughs> uh, have I been through a lot of persecution? Personally, I would say uh, there has been a lot of opposition over time. Uh, persecution has been minimal. There have been times uh, more when I was younger. I think now, um, you know, perspective changes. And so as an adult... That's very true, yeah. Like my ideas of persecution are perhaps a little different than they used to be, but um, has there been a cost um, to, to discipleship at times for sure? Uh, has it cost friends and relationships? Absolutely. Uh, I think you can identify with that as well. Sure. And uh, in fact, I, I know you can, that's why I'm saying it. But <laughs> so. so that's what we're talking about today in a nutshell. So bye everybody. <laughs> um <laughs> So that, but that is kind of, uh, you know, the, the theme of, uh, what we talked about on Sunday, um, which actually, uh, just got posted this morning because I'm lame and couldn't get it to work until then. So if you haven't listened to Sunday's message yet, it is on the podcast. Uh, it is in two parts. They're each roughly about 30 to 40 minutes each. Um, so if you haven't checked that out yet, uh, you can do that. Uh, if you're watching on the Facebook live stream, you can scroll down a little bit and see the live stream from Sunday or the, the video from Sunday, or you can check it out on the podcast right now. Indeed. You know, and even as we go into next week, uh, <clears throat> we're seeing this theme of persecution and opposition uh, continue. And, and, and that'll be a theme throughout the book of Acts as we as we watch these things happen. Uh, the reality is persecution uh, is part of the Christian life. Uh, it's it's been part of the DNA of the church from the beginning, uh, and, and actually long before the church, Israel was persecuted. Mm-hmm. Um, before before Christ's earthly ministry, the people of God making exclusive truth claims, and I think that's an important uh, thing to realize. People don't like exclusive truth claims. They're they're happy with religion. They're happy with talk of God, uh, as long as whatever gods they fill in there still apply they can have their own personal uh i'll use the term idols uh they can have those things and keep a respectable religion with it oh that's great uh but that that really hasn't changed even today no it really hasn't i mean you know there's i see things on on the news even um, in some circles, any sort of religion is, is frowned upon, but people are perfectly comfortable with you keeping your religion as long as it doesn't interfere with, uh, my way of life or, you know, if you, as long as you're validating everything that, that is, uh, happening, you know, in any other circle, if you don't claim that your truth is truth, then, then we're good. You know, as long as I can. Right. You can do your thing and whatever. Yeah, if, if I can be a Christian and not have that really affect my life, uh, then great. In fact, I, I just was watching uh, 
a YouTube program from a, a relatively conservative uh, reformed background uh, show. Well, it's Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Uh, and, and he was talking about a headline in Christianity Today, uh, which I have the I have the edition here, but I have not read the article. Um, talking about how millions of people are uh, coming to Christ and being saved over these online uh, media, you know, different forms of online church or whatever. And all these millions of people are, are coming to Christ and being saved. You know, when you look at the numbers that come out of these things, much of this is not actually involving the actual gospel. It, it's a feel-good you know, it, come to Jesus and say a prayer, and He'll give you peace. Right. It's the coronavirus and so on. But boy, you got got a lot going on there. Huh? I think it's FedEx next door. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I assume that's Oliver and Lorelai's just kind of chilling. Lorelai's on the couch; she could care less. Anyway. <laughs> uh, anyhow, you know that there is some reality to that. That. People are very comfortable with comfortable religion. People right. are very offended by any sort of a truth claim that says there's one truth, there's one way, there's one life, right. and anything else is condemned. Anything else is offensive to God and is sinful. And so, you know, if you're willing to say, you know, Islam is a peaceful religion and Hinduism is a path to peace and harmony. And you're willing to embrace a universalist type of, of approach to things. Then you're going to have a lot of friends. Um, yeah. Or if you're, if you're saying Christianity um, is perfectly willing to conform to whatever the court cultural norms are, you're going to have a lot of friends, but right. That's not the nature of the gospel. The gospel is inherently counterculture. And so when, um, when we wade into this saying, look, the problem is not your lack of peace. The problem is you are cursed. You are condemned because of your sin, because right. you have one purpose for existence. That purpose is a relationship with, with God of intimacy, conformity, uh, obedience and love that glorifies him that's the whole reason you exist anything else is superfluous that is not anything else is not part of your purpose in existing and because you in your rebellion just like me in my rebellion because we fail to live out that purpose um, then our, our very nature is is as objects of wrath we are at, at odds at enmity with God right when you start to say those things that you know like Jesus said there's no one good but God which all the Jewish rabbis recognized they didn't call each other good they, that that's no longer uh, the way of of Jewish teaching these days uh, but that that's you know whether you're talking about Judaism or Christianity or anything else we're we're pretty you know we're pretty happy to embrace an Anne Frank mentality that says I, I believe people are basically good but the fact of the matter is people are not basically good mm -hmm. we might be good by human standards when we create our own comparisons and we we um, 
determine for ourselves what goodness is, because then we can we just make it valuable. You know, it's grading on a curve, and if right. we're grading on a curve, then okay, that's fine. But if there's an absolute standard of right and wrong, if there is a God, then that God is holy, and all goodness and righteousness and holiness is derived from that God's character, then we have an issue, and we have unfortunately watered that down, and that's why we. Uh, that's why we have entire websites and, and you know, movements dedicated to the gay Christian and, and, and so on and so forth, where we can say, look, I, I want my cake, but I also want to eat my cake. I want to have it and eat it. Well, the reality is I can't have it and eat it. I can either have it or I can eat it. But once I eat it, I don't have it. Right. So when I look at the scripture and I want what God offers, I want the peace of God. I want the benefits of God. God only offers those benefits in relationship to himself. And, and you can search anywhere in the scriptures. Walk through the Old Testament. Take a look at the New Testament. Um, God does not offer his blessings other than in a general sense. He has a general blessing of providence that, that he gives to humankind. But the, uh, you know, he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. But the blessings that he promises, peace, the protection, come only in covenant relationship. When God promises blessing and promises to be with people in the old testament it's only with his people israel he's only making this commitment to his own folks and when we look at it in the new testament he's only making this commitment to the church that those who have uh have uh, become one with him through jesus christ so he offers this mercy that doesn't go away but it only comes on his terms and we want we want God to be our our therapist, our rabbit's foot, our vending machine. I'm afraid of COVID-19. I'm afraid of whatever else. And so I want God to sweep in and, and let his cape blow in the breeze as he rescues me and sweeps me off into a heroic rescue. But that's on, on our terms. Say again. On our terms. On our terms, right. And, and God, God rescues on his terms. And those terms are very simple. Receive Jesus Christ. Right. No one comes to the Father except through him. And we can't just say, okay, well, I'm going to have this <clears throat> acceptance, this mental assent that Jesus, he died and he existed and he, you know, that he was actually a real person. Uh, and even that I, I accept that he rose from the dead. That's not quite the same thing as confessing him as Lord. When I confess him as Lord, then from within the core of my understanding, I relate to him as my master. He runs the show. I, I go back to all of the Old Testament teachings that led to Christ. And, and I, I mean, I, I think a lot of it boils down to something as simple as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make the path straight. Or we look at the book of Job, and, and the whole message of the book of Job really comes down to the, the, the reality that God is doing something. Job doesn't know what it is. Job has his own understanding of righteousness. His friends have their own understanding of righteousness. In truth, none of them are really wrong about the things that they're saying about God. 
uh, or, you know, and Job's not wrong in the things he's saying about himself. They just have no clue. So the message of the book of Job comes down to when God shows up in the latter chapters and says, who are you? you if you know so much, why don't you explain to me what went on when I created the world? We're still trying to do that today, by the way, and failing. Right. Why don't you tell me how much snow is coming, where storehouses are? You know, the, Job has no idea, and, and he ends up saying, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I had heard of you, but now I've seen you. Now, right. so this is not, not talking about you anymore, and, and I spoke of things that I didn't understand. Right. So when we see that sort of thing um, in the scripture, that's really taking us to the idea of Christ as Lord. You know, when we see Isaiah uh, in Isaiah 6, when he gets this, this vision of God in his temple, and, and we see the majesty of God, the fullness of God's glory filling the temple, and, and even the, the angelic burning ones covering their, their faces and feet in humility as they cry, holy, holy, holy. And so uh, Isaiah's immediate, you know, his, his, his basic reaction that it doesn't take any kind of religious mustering things up, just his, his natural immediate reaction is face down, woe to me, I'm a dead man because I am sinful and I've seen a holy God. Right. When we begin to see that perspective, then we're ready. Then we're ready to begin to receive Christ. But until we come to a place where we recognize that that God has all all truth, all reality belongs to Him. All reality is rooted in Him. Until we come to that place, then we're not ready to understand that there is a standard. And when we get to a place where we see God's reality and we recognize the standard of holiness and that we absolutely don't meet it, that doesn't take a whole lot. That's probably the easiest thing, truthfully, is to recognize that we're sinners. The hard part is getting our hearts to surrender to that. But, but the easy thing is to recognize that we're failing, we're flawed. That, that's not hard. Right. When we see... <laughs> Every day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, 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 I mean even a, an atheist can see that. I mean, you don't have to have the standards of God to recognize our shortcomings. But what we do need is to, to recognize that not only is God the holder of all reality, the essence ultimately of all reality, but God is holy and he demands holiness of us. And so as the only truly rebellious part of creation, we are separated from God and rightly condemned for our sins. So it's not just that God has turned us out, but God, having turned us out, has left us to our own demise, our own choices, our own ability to bring life to ourselves. And we can't because he is the only source of life. He is the life giver. And therefore, not only are we dead in our sins, but we are subject to wrath because of that. Right. We don't bring that into the equation. So then we have this warm, fuzzy Jesus that means nothing because the good news of Jesus dying for my sins doesn't have any real power if I don't have any sin. If I don't 
recognize that there is such a thing as sin as such a thing as holiness and that I'm required to have that, not just, you know, um, you know, to err as human and to forgive as divine, which is true, but to err as, as humans does not mean we just get a pass because, you know, God knows we're doing our best. Our best isn't good enough. Right. So once we get that bad news established, then the good news realizing that God, God has every right to condemn us. And not only does he have every right in his holiness to be just, he has within his own character an obligation, as it were, to condemn. That destruction is our only lot. My grandfather used to get bent out of shape when people would talk about what they deserve. He said, what you deserve is hell. I saw a a meme on Instagram the other day. I think it was a body beginning quote that said, you know, it's grace that you woke up this morning because God's justice should have killed you last night. Right. Well, we begin to get that. Then God loved us. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. That takes on a whole new meaning. And that whole dynamic of that becomes powerful and life-changing. And until it does, then we don't really get it. And, and so that's why, you know, all of this is just really the first point of, of the sermon. The gospel, the actual real true gospel always brings opposition. When we're looking at the biblical gospel. And so, you know, when we, when we see what happens with Stephen, we'll see it again with Philip. We'll see it with when Paul is converted. Um, it was the change in Peter. It's the change in all of the, uh, in all the disciples. When the Holy Spirit comes on them, and, and their eyes are opened, and they see what they already saw with their physical eyes, now through spiritual eyes, and the dots become connected between, uh, between all these nebulous parts of, of the Old Testament prophecies of the law and the sacrifice and all that, that was pointing toward Christ. Now, as we're seeing all of that come together, what happens in them is they align themselves with reality. They become overwhelmed with the truth, with the reality that not only is there a God, but this God that we have always called our father actually sees us as enemies because of our sin and is against us, but in his grace has offered us a way to become his children, which we do not deserve. It's only by his sovereignly gracious adoption of us. And so when they see that, when Stephen sees that in Acts chapter 6 and 7, coming back to the text from, from Sunday, then we see that, that it changes everything. And so Stephen, he, he's a, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. He's a man full of grace and power. Why? Because he sees the reality of God. He gets it. And getting it, God's power and grace are, are on this grand display in Stephen to the point where even while he's standing facing potential execution, which eventually will become real execution, he's standing there before the Sanhedrin under attack and persecution, and, and they look at him and they see his face is like the face of an angel. It's changed everything. And, and that was really our, our core reality. It, you know, if you forget everything else that we talked about during this podcast, the thing to remember is that God's power and grace are displayed in us 
when we reflect the reality of Christ amid opposition and persecution. And those things are going to come. I mean, the gospel always brings opposition. And while the Holy Spirit will empower us to, to have the wisdom, the ability to speak truth, as we put God's word into our hearts, the Holy Spirit will then put words into our mouths using that sword of the Spirit, the, the gospel, the, the word of uh, Scripture in us, then he empowers us as we trust him to do that, do so. If we're trying to come up with schemes and, and you know, our own you know, wise words, then we're not trusting the Holy Spirit. But when we rely on the word of God and the spirit of God to do the work of God, in, then he gives us the, the power and wisdom that Stephen has on display when he faces this opposition. These, these uh, Hellenistic Jews who are coming against him, they're, you know, they can't stand against the wisdom that the Holy Spirit gives them. So as the Holy Spirit speaks through Stephen, they're like dumbfounded. They're, they're trying to attack him. It doesn't work. So then the, the next natural thing is, when he, as he stands against opposition, and, and, and they can't handle that, the next bit is they have to eliminate him. They're gonna, they're, if I, can't, if I right. can't win in this debate, I'm going to punish him. I want him to hurt. I want him to suffer. And so they... Bring, kind of get rid of them. Yeah, they, so they bring false witnesses the same way they did against Jesus. That, that um, you know, I can't defeat his arguments. I can't stand against his wisdom. So let's get some false accusations in here. We'll accuse him of blasphemy. Uh, they have this trumped up trial. And rather than running from it, the persecution that he's facing in Stephen's life, and it should in ours as well, it only highlights the call to stand for truth. So rather than getting up there, getting timid and backing down or trying to defend himself, because a lot of times we'll do that. We'll try to, we'll have our, you know, we might call it apologetics and occasionally it is, but more often than not, it's just trying to win a debate. It's trying to win an argument, right, not right. rather than to win souls. So Stephen doesn't care about winning the argument. He doesn't care about winning his freedom. What he cares about is glorifying God and standing for truth. So he doubles down then on presenting the truth he's he's you know walking through this and while he is standing in front of the, the sanhedrin and needs to give a defense to to keep from from being uh, really put in a bad way and, and ultimately he knows that the law puts him in danger of stoning right now just by the accusations of blasphemy right. so as he's there rather than defending himself he walks through the old testament through Abraham and Moses and David and Solomon to, to show that there was always a picture of this righteous one who was coming. There was always a picture of the Messiah uh, in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament fathers, he calls them our ancestors. He connects himself to the Jewish leaders here. And he says this, this whole history is rejecting the prophets of God. And then he turns it to your ancestors. He goes from our ancestors in the, the patriarchs to your ancestors in those who are rejecting the truth, those who are rejecting the Messiah. And so uh, this accusation, this confrontation with truth, not just saying here is this grand scheme, this big picture, but you specifically are in sin. And he confronts them with their sin. Well, now that's fuel on the fire. So, you know, they, they end up, um, you know, dragging him out. They're going to stone him. 
And his focus is so heavily on Christ that God gives him this revelation. He, he looks up to heaven and he sees the glory of God and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And when he says that, of course, the stones start flying. They, they, they go nuts with it. And, and rightly so, if he were not speaking truth. Right. But he is. He's confirmed that with the signs and wonders the Spirit gave him. And he's made the case logically, rationally, and spiritually as walking through the Scriptures under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Confront them with their sin. Rather than being convicted uh, toward repentance, they are convicted toward anger. But even amidst all of this, Stephen, in his, in his reaction, in his response to what they're doing, confirms the gospel message of grace so he's stood with power he's spoken with power he's demonstrated uh the power of god in his life but now in the midst of the the deepest persecution even as his death is impending before he loses consciousness he prays for god not to hold this sin against him just like jesus prayed on the cross father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing and we see that the truth of the gospel is confirmed in Christ-like response to persecution. And so for us, we have this natural tendency, this is just our, our humanity, that when people come against us, you know, we stand, they should, they, you know, they should celebrate this. They should respect our opinion. You know, they should, you know, but this isn't about opinion. This is about the reality of God. And what we are saying, we need to recognize, if we are saying the Bible is right and everything else is wrong, the gospel that I am proclaiming is truth and everything else is a lie. There is no other way to God. And if you do not embrace this, you will spend eternity in hell and you deserve it. Well, you can see why that would be offensive. And so we need to recognize that that is exactly what we're saying. And it is specifically offensive to those who are outside of God. The good news is you don't have to be that way. And, and by the way, we should recognize that all of us, as Paul pointed out, all of us are in the same boat. That it's not right. like I'm better than you because you know. right. And I think it often comes across. It can come across that way, um, like oh, it almost uh, as as a condemnation to other people. When I mean, it's not because I was there too. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, it is. I'm I mean, not- it's a condemnation. But we're involved in that. But it's not its not me condemning you. Right. You know? We're not throwing the stones. We're catching right. the stones are hitting us as well. And so right. we need to recognize the the reality of that. And, and so we have to be careful not to let our presentation be what makes it come across that way. Unbelievers, right. unregenerate souls are going to be offended. And they will either be uh, offended and captured by the Holy Spirit and regenerated, given new life, and repent. Or they will be offended and will face opposition or persecution. Those are really the only two options. Uh, you know, you, there's a soft spot in the middle that only stays there for a short period of time where they, we might be ignored, which is in itself right. something of a form of persecution, but not quite the same. Right. But, but people don't stay there. If, if, you know, if we decide, okay, we're going to live and let live and we walk away and we don't talk about it, that's fine. But, but then the gospel isn't being presented. But, right. but very often, just your mere presence as a Christ follower, just you don't even have to say anything. Once it is known that you belong to Christ, then your mere presence becomes offensive very often 
to people of darkness because light hurts the darkness. It, it hurts your eyes when you're used to the darkness. And so recognize that they hated Jesus first. They're going to hate his followers. But that doesn't give us an excuse to, to be belligerent, to be uh, obnoxious, to be unpleasant. If people are offended by our manner, then it's not the gospel that it's, that's offending them. It's our jerkiness. So, right. you know, we need to be winsome warriors. We need to be standing for truth with power, but in a way that is powerfully graceful, that, that we're expressing the full reality of who Jesus is in the fullness of truth and the fullness of grace, that, that Christ is perfectly holy and yet always loving, compassionate, and kind. I, I cut you off. I think you were saying something. No, I, you know, you're good. <laughs> no, nobody's good. Only God. <laughs> oh, see, it just ties into the, ties into the thing there. <laughs> but I, I, I wasn't going to say something previously, but now that we're on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what... I, I, we're running out of time here, so I'm going to try to squeeze this in as quickly as possible. But I think, you know, if we're if we're trying to connect the dots here and and bring this all to uh, the present as much as possible, um, from a Christ follower's perspective, I, I don't want, and maybe this is just me. I don't think it's just me, but um, it's not always easy <laughs> to. Uh, I guess show that grace, and and there are times when you not always. Person, yeah, I'd say it's hardly. Well, different. yeah, and and I when I think about that, it's a matter of perspective because, gosh, you look at Stephen and all these other, uh, you know, people in the Bible who were legitimately persecuted. I mean, stoned to death. And I'm worried. I'm sitting here worried about what somebody might think on about something I post on Facebook about Jesus. Like right. that. That to me. I feel so horrible when that, when that, you know, enters my head, but I still, I get there. And when somebody's not kind to me or when somebody says something snarky to me or whatever, I want to argue with them. My yeah. natural instinct is to argue and to defend myself or to whatever. And that's not what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> but I, in, yeah. in reality, it's just small potatoes. It is. It, it certainly is persecution. I don't want to act like mockery is not because, you know, contrary to what we learned about sticks and stones when we were kids, words are hurtful. Uh, but what we end up doing, unfortunately, is we respond in the flesh a lot of the time. Somebody, you know, mocks our Facebook post or, or you know, attacks our, our tweet or whatever it is. And and we get offended. And And very often that's not really indignation because we want to defend the gospel as much as it's personally hurt feelings. Right, well, right. Some of that is, is natural. You know, you're, you're going to have some hurt feelings, but when we respond from the flesh, rather than responding from the spirit, from the Holy spirit who gives us grace in the same way that God showed us grace by sending his son Christ to die while we were yet sinners. If we don't respond according to the spirit in that way, then we're just playing into the devil's hands. We're, we're confirming all of the world's suspicions about our hypocrisy. And what we want to do is confirm that God is grace and God is truth. 
and that he does regenerate and renew and make us different people. That doesn't mean I don't sin. It doesn't mean I don't struggle in my tongue. He says something that I think is stupid. Right. You know, or, or it's, you know, if somebody's offensive to me, my natural reaction is to want to be offensive. To the, to, right. You know, the, the eighth grade smart aleck comes out and I want to win the little put down battle. I want right. to the clever, the cleverest. Gift throw out, gift throw out some sandlot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's not how Christ followers react. We need to make sure that we're doing better than that. The way of grace and power involves persecution. Uh, and it invites persecution, but it doesn't react to that persecution from the flesh. Well, we will. We are over time, so we'll stop there for today. I feel like we could talk about this for a lot longer, but uh, we will stop there for today. I once again apologize for my dog. There will come a day. <laughs> there will come a day when we'll be back together again, and uh, hopefully not have you know home issues. But uh, for now, we'll we'll keep on keeping on. But Rich, happy birthday! Thanks for taking time out of your day to do the cast. Well, thank you. I better way to spend it than with all of you here in the home of professional podcasting. (laughs) And we will leave it at that. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye.